Good morning. Welcome to Memorial. Um, I am yet again not Pastor Joseph. I'm Andy. I'm the youth minister here and uh, help with the music some in this service. Uh, we're glad to see everybody with us this morning. I want to welcome all visitors. Uh, draw your attention to, uh, well, the slideshow is finished now, but the bulletin is a very important thing. I know we don't use it as an order of worship for this service, but it is, especially the new format, has a lot of information about what's going on at church um, over the next few weeks. And so uh, please pick one of those up on your way out. There are plenty back there, and we want everybody to be in the know about what's going on here. Um, so... Uh, Please be sure and do that. Um, I want to let you know that uh, next Sunday is a very special Sunday. Uh, the 18th of August is a busy, busy day for us, um, especially for our kids. It is promotion Sunday, so the kids will move up. Um, all kids will meet Miss Katie in the gym at the beginning of the Sunday school hour at 10 o'clock. And from there, you'll be dismissed to go to your new Sunday school classes if you're moving up. Um, Back-to-school blessings will also be offered at both the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. service um, next week. And uh, we'll hope you'll be there for this tradition that's been started at Memorial. As we go back to school, we want to make sure we send the kids and, and uh, everyone and teachers as well back to school with God's blessings. And also next week, third graders are going to receive their Bibles. That's also a tradition here at Memorial. And that will be done at both the 9 and the 11 a.m. service as well. Um, this is a gift that the church gives. Um, if you are a parent of a third grader, um, please make sure that Kelly, know, Kelly Katie knows which service you would like to have the Bible presented at. And, um, and I guess you can do that uh, in just a few moments when we greet one another or after church today. Just make sure she knows so she can have the Bibles at the appropriate service. Um, I think I need to call upon Wayne. Uh, he has some announcements. Um, about next Sunday as well. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to make a couple quick announcements. One, about next Sunday, the 18th. Um, that's going to be a busy Sunday, but also Sunday evening we're going to have the annual ice cream social. And we'd just like to encourage everyone to try to come out. It's a great time of fellowship. You can enjoy some good ice cream. And also... Um, we usually recognize the new members that have joined, so it's a time you can maybe, uh, in a more, I guess, uh, relaxed setting, uh, get to talk to those, those people, and also you can preview the programs that will be upcoming in the fall. So, uh, like I said, um, just a great time to come out and enjoy some good fellowship. And then also just wanted to remind everyone that starting back up in September, uh, we're going to start our Wednesday night suppers. Uh, we're going to change them up a little bit this year. Um, it's going to be called Supper at Six. And uh, so we're going to move the time back a little bit later. And uh, we're going to try to, um, we're asking everybody if they can RSVP just to try to help out with the number. But we're going to plan for more. So if you forget to RSVP or if your schedule works out to where you can make it, uh, please come. Uh, we'll, we will have, uh, have enough. And... Um, also, we're going to try to have some guest speakers, and in September, uh, one of our own members, Daryl Rishford, is going to speak uh, about his mission trip where he went to Kentucky uh, with Redbird Mission, and just give us some insight of what they did and a little bit about it, and, uh, you know, it'd probably be maybe uh, 15 to 25 minutes, sort of while we're eating, you know, sort of wrapping it up, so... It'll be a good time, and I understand that's a you know Wednesday nights can be a busy time. But if you can make it, uh, I think you'd enjoy it, and it'd, it'd be good. So, but thank you. Well, we are glad that everybody's here this morning to worship the Lord. So why don't we stand up and do just that? Well, you are beautiful, my sweet sweet song. Well, you are beautiful, my sweet sweet song. Well, you are beautiful, my sweet, sweet song, and I will sing again. You are so good to me, you heal my broken heart, you are my father in 
for that. We thank you for being our Father and the Spirit inside of us, Lord, and, and just the one that loves us more than anything else. Lord, we hope that we can just feed that back to you, that we can show you the love that you deserve. Lord, open us up today. Fill us with your word and your Holy Spirit, Lord. Speak to us so that you can speak through us for the rest of the week. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
if you had a prayer card that you filled out, the ushers will come around during this time and you can hand it to them. And if you'll just turn and greet your neighbor and tell them good morning and that you love them and children come to the carpet. everybody doing good? Can everybody, can y'all hear me way over there? Okay. I'm glad we have so many people. We're filling up the carpet this morning. Everybody's still talking. Do y'all think we should wait on them? Okay. I have a question for you. Have you ever played a scavenger hunt or treasure hunt game? What do you do when you're playing a scavenger hunt? Bridget? Yeah, and how do you find the treasure? You got an idea? What do you do? Yes. Is that what you were going to say, Morgan? Is that what you were going to say, Justin? Yeah. You have clues. Somebody might tell you a clue and send you to the next spot, or you might read them on a little card or something. But you go from one place to the next, and you have all these clues that help you find the treasure at the end. Well, what is that treasure at the end, usually? Is it usually like gold or something big and exciting? No, it's usually like what? Candy, Candy, which would be good. Or like a little plastic toy that breaks or something. It's usually not a big deal. You want to say something that you found? What? Yeah? You want to say? Yeah, so we've kind of all found like candy, I'm sorry, um, candy, stickers, just small little treasures at the end of our treasure hunt. Well, we've actually heard about treasure hunts for a long time. There have been books, famous books written about treasures and movies made about it. And even Jesus in the Bible talked about treasure. Did you know that? Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Some people are surprised to know that even in the Bible, Jesus talked about seeking treasure. One day he told his followers, sell your possessions and give them to those in need. This will store up for you treasures in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe there. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And that comes out of the book of Luke in the Bible. Well, what do you think? We know how to do a scavenger hunt. We know how to do a treasure hunt. How do you think we store up treasures in heaven? Because that sounds a little harder to me. Do you have any ideas? Emma? That's perfect. That's a perfect way by reading the Bible. Caroline? Praying. Yeah. It's actually not as hard as it sounds. We lay up treasures in heaven the way Jesus wants us to do by not thinking about ourselves, by taking our mind and our eyes off of ourselves, and by thinking about other people. We look at their needs and how we can help them. We give to the poor. We help those who have less than we do. We love others as we love ourselves and as we want to be loved. Doing those things is how we build up treasures in heaven. And there is nothing that can take away those actions that we've done to store those treasures in heaven. So it's a lot of fun to play a treasure hunt game or to do a scavenger hunt. But when we find those little prizes, kind of the fun's kind of over, isn't it, Natalie? And it's not as exciting as doing things for other people that will store up our treasures in heaven for us and last forever. So I want us to ask God this morning to help us look for the right kind of treasure. And to help you remember that, I have a picture for you to take with you that has a Bible verse on it. And I'll let y'all grab these after we pray together, okay? Will you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, we sometimes look at all the treasures of this world and lose sight 
of what you want from us. Help us to serve you by helping others and building up our treasure in heaven. Amen. Was there? You offered them, you swear. Okay, well, I do know of a couple of things that I want to bring to your attention. Um, Katie's grandfather, as many of you know, brought us, um, is not doing well. He's still in ICU. Um, Katie, do you mind if I share a little bit? They found a large mass on his pancreas on Monday. It created an incredible amount of pressure against his liver and kidneys, and he is not doing well at all. Uh, they did um, have a successful procedure Thursday to uh, relieve some of that pressure. Um, he's conscious. He's awake. He knows who everybody is. He's, uh, his family's been visiting with him, but uh, just be in prayer for the entire Dobson family and, and everybody, um, and, and all of us, too, because brought us as a, he was a big part of this church and, and is a big part of this church, and so just be in prayer for him. I also look out and I see the Culbersons here this morning. I know, Ann, you're leaving pretty soon, is that right? Next Monday, um, and it's to Germany, right? She's teaching abroad this fall, and she, she leaves in a week, about a week, and then Scott and the girls are going to follow a couple weeks later than that and be there through October. Um, so uh, we pray for you as you go abroad as well. And um, uh, Are there any others that anybody would like to mention before we pray? Well, if not, then let's bow before the Lord this morning. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the many gifts and the blessings in our lives. We confess that we do not deserve them. We confess that we are but sinful people and were it not for your grace and your mercy, uh, we really would be nowhere. We thank you so much for the work that you have done in our lives and for the work that you have done in this church. We also confess this morning that some in our midst and some that we know of are hurting, whether it's due to physical pain or broken relationships or spiritual agony even. So Lord, we come to you pleading this morning that you would bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, that you would provide faith and courage for those who are struggling spiritually, and that you would mend the broken relationships that are here, that are heavy on our hearts. We claim your promises that you aim for us to prosper, and that you do not aim for us to be harmed. And sometimes it may not seem like that, Lord, but we hang on to your promises for we know that you are indeed faithful and that you are indeed worthy of our praise. Most gracious Father, we thank you most of all for the gift of your Son. That not considering being equal to God something to be held on to, he gave up his position next to you and came not just to be with us, but to be one of us in every way, in every fashion, Lord, even unto death. And because you were willing to give him up, Lord, we are now called your children. We are now citizens of your kingdom. We have forgiveness of sins and eternal security. And Lord, for this we are most grateful. And we seek to be like your son every day as true disciples, as followers, as worshipers, as those who would go after him, follow in his example, and mimic his every teaching. And so we again begin this morning to do just that by praying the prayer that he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as I call Mr. Clute up here, Bill Clute, I've been looking forward to hearing from you. I guess it's been a little over a year now, hadn't it, since the last time Bill spoke, but he is our resident apologist. Can I say that, Bill? All right, come on up, Bill. Uh, many of you know Bill Clute, but if you don't, he's a brilliant man, um, as well as a crazy guy who likes to fly in airplanes. Uh, so uh, it's a weird combination. But no, we're very happy that Bill's a part of our congregation, and he is uh, spearheading some things for us, whether it's the reasonable faith that meets tomorrow night or uh, our uh, resolution to the annual conference 2016, uh, hoping to get something passed um, for that as well. So I, I welcome you and I uh, look forward to hearing it. I think this might be the first time that I've stood up here and not been introduced as a, a bad joke about Camp David, so I'm not really sure how to go on from here. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These words by Jesus will be the foundation of our message this morning, and they're also a foundation of Christianity. But in our world today, these words have been called divisive, hurtful, and intolerant. So what does it mean to be tolerant? Merriam-Webster defines it as sympathy or indulgence for beliefs or practices differing from or conflicting with one's own, the act of allowing something. This isn't how our society defines it, though. Our society defines it as acceptance of all beliefs, actions, and lifestyles as being equally valuable, equally moral, and equally true. To express disagreement is now considered hurtful, unloving, and just plain wrong. Some Christian churches, not wanting to be perceived as intolerant and wanting to be welcoming to all people, have sacrificed the foundations of faith for the perception of love. These churches, along with our society in general, say that some Christians are just so intolerant by not accepting all others. Who do these Christians think they are to judge other beliefs to be wrong? Well, to hear people make these objections almost makes you think that they're judging our beliefs to be morally wrong. But wait, they're saying that we are morally wrong and they won't accept any belief that doesn't accept all beliefs. Aren't they being judgmental and intolerant themselves? This is where the whole modern understanding of tolerance becomes incoherent and hypocritical. It seems to be directed only at Christianity. And this may be because Christianity teaches that objective truths do exist. There are moral rights and wrongs that aren't to be left to everyone's own opinion. I was re recently watching a biography on the late comic Sam Kennison. Now, some of you may remember him as the screaming history professor from Rodney Dangerfield's film, Back to School, or anytime you saw him on TV as a screaming somebody, uh, that was his act. Kennison was the son of a Pentecostal preacher, one that did not believe in the resurrection or the second coming of Christ. His dying wish that was, was that Sam would follow in his footsteps, and for a while, Sam did. But Sam found himself much more comfortable being a stand-up comic, mocking Jesus on the cross as his act. I found it interesting that when the biography show interviewed other big-time comedians about this mocking act, they declared it um, genius and daring. But Christianity wasn't Kennison's only target. He was an equal opportunity offender. He also mocked homosexuals. But to this, his fellow comedians didn't declare him genius. Instead, they said, well, it was funny, but just plain wrong. So why is one wrong and the other one genius? They didn't explain it, and neither does our society. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. This scripture has probably become the most quoted scripture in our society today. It used to be John 3:16 or the 23rd Psalm, but they've been replaced. More often than not, this verse is not used by Christians, but by non-Christians, condemning Christians for judging, and they then declare that we are being arrogant. Let me make two points on this. First, Matthew 7 is not declaring that we should never judge. Only if you read verse 1 in a vacuum could you come to that conclusion. 
If we read on, we see that it is telling us that we need to get ourselves right before trying to correct others. We should not be hypocrites. Verse 2 and 3 read, For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Now some stop there and say, I don't want to be judged, so I'm just not going to judge others. They miss the point. They do nothing to get that log out of their own eye. But if we continue on to verse 5, we see, First, take, take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If we drop down to verse 15, which says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. We can only beware of these false prophets if we make judgments as to who they are. First, we need to get our lives right with God, though. Yes, we should welcome and love all people, and we should recognize and deal with our own sins. But this is far different from pretending that there are no objective morals and truths, that it is all just up to everyone's own opinion, that we should accept all actions as normal. This is what our society is trying to push, and it is a lie. My second point is about hypocritical arrogance. A parable about an elephant is often used to illustrate what is perceived to be arrogance by Christianity. It goes something like this. Blind scribes are touching different parts of an elephant. One who has a hold of the tail says, this is a rope. Another who has a hold of the leg says, it's not a rope, it's a tree. A third who has the trunk says, you're both wrong, it's a snake. The moral of the story is that all religions are like these men. They each touch different parts of ultimate reality, and therefore, any one of them is arrogant to say that they have the whole truth. This is the relativist, relativistic viewpoint of New Age spiritualism, like Oprah promotes, and many Eastern religions, like Hinduism. But take a step back and think about what is being said here. Do you see the hypocritical claim that's being made? Jesus, Buddha, Krishna, Moses, and Muhammad are all blind. But in fact, I can see. These leaders all had small perspective, but I'm the one who has the full picture. Now, who's being arrogant? If it is arrogant to say that Christianity is the one true way, then it is equally arrogant to say that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus were all wrong in their exclusive claims because I am the one who has the full picture. You see, Christianity is not the only exclusionary belief system. Christianity is the only one that is called out for it. Most all religious systems are exclusive at some point. Hinduism has what is known as the caste system, where acceptance into the various hierarchical social systems is exclusively based on the family you were born into. Buddhism was born out of Hinduism because the Buddha rejected and excluded the caste system, as well as other Hindu teachings. Islam only accepts those that proclaim that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And even those that claim to accept all beliefs exclude some. I remember talking with a Unitarian. Unitarians claim to accept all beliefs. I asked if they would accept me, and he said, sure. So I said, I, I believe that Christianity is the one true belief, that the Trinitarian God of the Bible is the one and only God, and that through Jesus is the only way to salvation. Would the Unitarian Church accept that? He said, well, I don't think we can accept that. So. Even the all-inclusive churches exclude somebody. They exclude the exclusivists. The poet Steve Turner gives a tongue-in-cheek description of our society's view on religion. He writes, Jesus was a good man like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. We believe he was a good teacher of morals, but we believe that his good morals are really bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness, they only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We see that the charge of intolerance against Christianity is hypocritical and based on a false understanding of the word tolerance. Society is preaching that we should strive for unity by accepting and loving, of, by being accepting and loving of all people, actions, and lifestyles, that this is the ultimate ethic. They even say that this is the Christian thing to do. But is it? When Jesus was being questioned by Pontius Pilate, he said, I have come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, if it was necessary for him to come into the world to testify to the truth, then that means that there is testimony in this world that is not the truth. If everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice, then it implies that there are some that aren't of the truth and do not listen to his voice. What good is unity if it is at the expense of truth? Isn't truth what we all want? When we see a court case, isn't truth what we want to come out of it? Isn't truth what we wish we could expect from our government? When Jesus told Pilate that he came to testify to the truth, Pilate's reply was, what is truth? So, what is truth? Truth is that which accurately represents reality. If I was to claim that it's raining right now in this room, you could quickly discern whether or not I'm making a true statement. The facts separate what is true and what is false. Facts are, a, are not a uniter, but a divider. Therefore, truth is inherently exclusive. Often there are competing contradictory claims, contradicted, contradictory claims to what is true. We don't dismiss them all as false simply because they disagree. We investigate and follow the evidence to where it leads. We find which one, if any, the evidence supports as true. Now, Christianity is the teaching that Jesus is the second person of the Trinitarian God, who is one God, and was crucified, buried, and was raised in bodily form. This is a truth claim. If it is true, then any claim to the contrary would be false. Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, New Age Spiritualism, Atheism, and all other non-Christian worldviews deny this truth claim. It is exclusive to Christianity. Therefore, since truth is exclusive, both Christianity and all these other worldviews cannot both be true. They can all be false, but they can't all be true. This is where we would look at the evidence and follow where it leads. I believe a pretty strong case can be made in support of this Christian truth claim. I believe it can be done without even using the Bible. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all of that this morning, but I'll refer you to N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, or to my Christian apologetics group, which meets here usually the second Monday of each month, where we typically talk about items just like this. So Jesus is the way and the truth, and finally, the life. John 3.16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. In John 17, Jesus speaking to God the Father tells us what eternal life is. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word know in this verse is the Greek word gnosko. This isn't speaking of simply having intellectual knowledge. It is speaking of understanding, feeling, having relational knowledge, a relationship, a relationship of love. This is our purpose. This is why we were created, to know God and have this loving relationship with him. Love comes with certain expectations, though. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what commandments was he speaking of? He said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That means our emotions, our inner being, and our intellect should be devoted to him. Are we doing a good job of fulfilling our purpose? When you love someone, don't you want to tell others about it? When you love someone, don't you want to help them? Why don't we do that then? Why do we find it so hard to tell others about Jesus and his death and resurrection? Are we embarrassed? Are we afraid of what others might think? If what we have to say is the truth, we have nothing to be afraid of. Penn Jillette is one half of the famous illusionist comedy act known as Penn and Teller. He, he's the tall one there. You could actually say he's more of two-thirds of the act. Penn is also a very outspoken atheist. Despite this, he has stated clearer than any evangelist I've ever heard why we shouldn't be quiet. In a video that you can find on YouTube by searching for Penn Jillette Gets a Bible, Penn tells a story of signing autographs after a show one evening. 
he notices a man approaching him. This man had been at the show the night before, and they had actually pulled him on stage to be a part of one of the acts. This man knew that Penn is an atheist. He went to Penn and told him that he is a Christian and presented him with a New Testament. Penn wasn't put off by it, though. In fact, he expressed how much respect he had for the man. He stated, and I quote, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, an atheist who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, there's a certain point that I tackle you, and this is more important than that." End quote. Some may say, I believe and love God, but I keep it to myself because I just don't have the knowledge or ability to talk to others about it. If that is you, you have good company. Moses didn't feel qualified. Paul didn't feel qualified. The truth is, we are all without excuse. The perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful Creator God, the God who is the way, the truth, and the life, made us all for a specific purpose. He made us specifically for this time. He made us specifically where we are. He made us specifically who we are and what we are. And God doesn't make mistakes. We have no excuses. Are we fulfilling our purpose? In the parable of the talents, Jesus tells the story of a master that leaves his servants with a various number of talents. A talent was a form of money in that day. One servant is satisfied with what he has and plays it safe by storing his talent away. The others take theirs and put it to work, invest it, and they make more. The master is very disappointed with the one that played it safe. He takes that servant's talent and gives it to one of the others that had earned more. Are we like that satisfied servant? I was recently in a church meeting in a local Methodist church where the pastor announced that in the first seven months of this year, they had gained 200 new members. We could do the same. If we put our fears aside and our satisfaction with the status quo, we could grow as well. Not by setting truth aside and blending in with the culture, but by being a voice of truth in stark contrast to the culture. Throughout history, the gospel has prospered most when it stood in contrast to the culture around it. If we make that stand, we can have the master of all tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. We have been faith you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The truth of the gospel for you and me and all people. Let us go forth and fulfill our purpose. Please stand at this time as we reaffirm our faith. We are not alone. We live in God's world. We believe in God who is created and is creating, who has come in Jesus, the Word made flesh, to reconcile, make new. He works in us and others by the Spirit. We trust in God. We are called to be the church, to celebrate God's presence, to love and serve others, to seek justice and resist evil, Claim Jesus, crucified and risen, our judge and our hope, in life and death, in life the end of death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen. At this time, let's worship with our offerings.
would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boat I'm in onto the crashing waves step out of my comfort zone to the realm of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand but the waves are calling out my name and he laughed at me reminding me of all the times I tried before he failed the waves they keep on telling me time and time again But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says, do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me. I will choose to listen and believe. Of truth. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors shaking in their armor wishing they'd have had the strength to stand with the giants calling out my name and he laughs at me reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed the giant keeps on telling me and time again, boy, you'll never win, you'll never win, but the voice of truth tells me a different story, the voice of truth says do not be afraid, and the voice of truth says this is for my glory. All the voices calling out to me I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth But the stone was just the right size To put the giant on the ground And the waves, they don't seem so high From the top of them looking down And I will soar on the wings of eagles when I stop and listen to the sound of Jesus singing over me. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me I will choose to listen and believe I will choose to listen and believe The voice of truth I will listen and believe I will listen and believe the voice of truth. I will listen and believe. I will listen and believe. Will you stand? Let's sing together. Where you go, I'll go. 
Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. into our homes and into our families. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.